All right, so here we go. So, hey, everybody, welcome back to Boarding Insiders. Rhiannon with Vessel Vanguard. And today I have Jeff with JMYS. Is it JMYS Yachting? What's the full title? Well, good. Let's start with that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. my name's Jeff Merrill. Hi, everybody. And uh, Jeff Merrill Yacht Sales Inc. is the official business name. Uh, I was very fortunate early on when I got set up to be able to also have my letters act as the domain name. So I have a, a four-letter domain name, jmys.com. So, but <laughs> I get a lot of emails addressed to Jimmy because Jimmy really? sounds like Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. They, hey, good video, Jimmy. Or I was like, okay, I mean, I just, I'm not, I'm not correcting them. But uh, anyway, yeah. So thank you. Good to be here. I'm so happy that you're here. So. You've worked with Vessel Vanguard for quite a while. You partnered with Vessel Vanguard for a long time when it was Wheelhouse originally. Right. And so we're kind of re-oxygenating that, that partnership and just reminding the world. And they gave you and I a chance to get reconnected. And then our yes. good buddy, Steve D'Antonio, was like, hey, you two should really sit down and chat after we had a, an opportunity to talk with him. So there's a lot of ground I want to cover, but let's kick it off with you and just who you are. You're, you know, what are you doing in the industry? How long have you been in the industry and how did you get started? Well, I guess that is a great way to start. So I was fortunate to be born into a sailing family. My father was a champion dinghy sailor and my brother and I grew up. I'm the older brother. Scott is two years younger. We raced Naples Sabbaths, which is the training boat in Southern California up and down the coast. We were very competitive. We didn't, we, we did a little bit of little league baseball and a little, little bit of popcorn or football, but our weekends were spent racing sailboats in Alameda Bay, which is a small little place in Long Beach. And that led to a career in the boating business. Uh, the Naples Sabbath is a squirrely boat to sail. It's a, it's a box that was designed in the late forties after World War II there was a, a design competition or something in, in one of the magazines, I think Popular Mechanics, if you remember that magazine. I do. And some local guys from Naples, California, Na Naples Islands, actually, in Long Beach, California, Alameda Bay, came up with a cramp, kind of like an optimist. I mean, that's a way more popular boat. But the weird part about the Naples Sabbath or the unique part about the Naples Sabbath is it has a lee board. So there's not a dagger board. It's not a center board. There's actually a separate board on the starboard side of the boat. And that was designed so that when they beached the boat, they could easily reach over, pull the lee board up, and go ashore. Now, they could have just as easily pulled a, a dagger board up, but that's what they designed it. That offset between the center of lateral resistance, the lee board, and the rudder makes this a very difficult boat to sail. Uh, and then it's evolved over time. My dad was actually the champion in Sabbaths the second, third, and fourth years that they ran it, back to 49, 50, and 51, I think. And that was when the adults and the kids all sailed together. It's since evolved to a separate senior division and a junior division. But anyway, so I would cut my teeth on boats racing Sabbaths. And when you are a racing so cool. sailor, you also have committee boats. And so we were driving power boats. My, my summers were spent either uh, taking sailing lessons and doing racing and traveling up and down California. Or <laughs> in later years, high school and college, my summer job was sailing instructor. So I just have always been around the water, always been around with sailboats. Uh, now, if you fast forward to now, and if you had told me when I was 15 or 16, hey, you're going to be a powerboat broker. I was, please, no, I don't want to do that. That's, those are the other guys. But uh, it's all worked out uh, really well. So yeah, my, my sailing career led to college sailing. I took a, a year or two off, and then I got invited to sail um, on a tryout for an America's Cup uh, team, the Courageous Challenge. Oh, wow. To Bermuda from California for a two week tryout. And that ended up being a three year best time of my life in my kind of late 20s, racing 12 meters and campaigning for the America's Cup. Uh, I ended up sailing with Buddy Melgus and the Heart of America team. Buddy, maybe certainly in the top couple of America's greatest sailors who unfortunately recently passed away. But every day on the water for, for a couple of years, racing boats, match racing with the 12 meters. What they're doing now with the foiling boats and what they did with the catamarans, it's a completely different game. And mm. it's good for the sport to have that innovation. But when we did it, it was very tactical. Your sail trim was very important. Uh, it wasn't the fastest boat. Well, usually the fastest boat wins no matter what. But now these guys foiling, if they get off their foil, the other guy just sails away from them. This was much more tactical. So anyway, that was a lot of fun. And that led to coming back um, to California. And uh, I met my wife, Pam sailing actually and uh, i've had several different jobs in the marine industry but i mean that's 
I've got a bio on my website. We don't need to probably hash all that. I'm sorry I spent this much time talking about me. No, but I think that that, I mean, it's it's so interesting now how you cut your teeth in this industry because if it's in your blood, it's in your blood. And I, I kind of feel that way of like, if the, the maritime industry, you're either in or you're out. You either love it or you don't. And one of the things you and I had talked about was kind of looking at the upcoming Trawler Fest and talking about trawlers in general. And I know you have a history with Nordhaven. Um, yeah. I was like, it's not, it's not the boats, it's the people. And I, well, yeah, I said, that's, that's exactly right. No, it's, it, it doesn't matter which boat you have. Of course it does. But when you get to <laughs> paradise, wherever that is, whatever cove, and yes. you're on a 20 foot sailboat or an 80 foot powerboat, and you need to borrow a cup of butter or something like, you know, it's it, everybody matches and it's the people and the places that they get to go, not the brand of the boat. It's not what, what I love about the trawlers is that there are some very high-end brands. You mentioned Nordhaven, Fleming, Katie Krogan, Outer Reef. I mean, we could go on. There's 25 premier brands, maybe 30, uh, and more coming onto the market. But it really doesn't matter. Um, it's not a status symbol. Most of the people who are buying these boats are out using them, not just parking it at the Yacht Club like a trophy right. and having people come over for cocktails. Although that's part of it as well. It's an entertaining, it's a fun part of your life. And typically, you get to a point in your life uh, where you have the time and you have the health and you have the money, those have to kind of line up. Uh, I've, I've had many conversations, been doing this for so long, where people reached out to me in their 60s and they then reached out to me when they were 90 and said, you know, you can take me off your mailing list. I should have bought the boat back when we first started talking. It never happened. So I would encourage anybody watching this and considering it that if you wait for the right time, time goes by. It, it, it may not happen. And yeah. if you're waiting for the right boat, that can also be get out there and do it. Once you're out there, you can then fine tune it. I'm not saying buy multiple boats. If you can find the right boat first, that's better. But um, waiting to do it for everything to line up is very difficult. It's not that big of a window of time that most people typically have for cruising. I would say that uh, historically, it's about a five-year window. And it's something that you do in your 60s or 70s. You get into your 90s if you've been doing it all your life. Gosh, keep going. I mean, that's great. But it's not something that you start as a new activity or a new sport uh, when you're when you're not able to, to be physically capable of moving around. It's mentally stimulating and physically challenging. And it keeps it makes the retirement life uh, a lot more uh, entertaining, interesting, productive. You get to go see all kinds of places. I mean, I, I love trawlers. Now, sailboats can do a lot of the same things, but the trawlers have all the comforts of home and are not dependent on the wind. And I I, I had, I did with my sailing background, I, I was involved with Pacific Seacraft, a very good uh, cruising sailboat builder for seven years. I was their vice president of sales and marketing, went to all the boat shows, didn't really sell boats to the end user, but worked with the dealer network. When they had clients, they'd send them out to California, Fullerton, California, where the factory was. I'd give them tours and uh, so getting people involved. And I thought, this is great. After my intense, intense have to win sailboat racing career, it was nice to kind of take the foot off the gas a little bit and be more involved in cruising and enjoying it. I'll never forget being on a cruising sailboat in Newport Beach with one of the first clients. And we, we left the dock and they put it on autopilot. I thought, what? You, why, why aren't you steering with the helm? And it, you know what? It, steering can be tough. And anyway, I got off on another tangent, which I'm prone to do. And really <laughs> no, that's really great. So, so I'll go back because what we were saying is like, you know, just get the boat, just get the boat. And I grew up down here on these waters. So I'm down in Southwest Florida. So I grew up on, you know, the Caloosahatchee River waters, fishing and boating. And then we obviously have the back bay and then we have the Gulf. And that's, that is what we've done. It's always been you know, sunset cruise, or we go out and we go fishing or we'll go out, you know, spend the day on the weekends. And so that's the type of boating I've just known. My dad was worked for Sea Ray for over 30 years as oh, a service wow. manager. Yeah. Yeah. So not only was I, you know, doing that, but I was in the boat yard. My mom used to clean boats. And so I'd help her teak the decks. And um, so it's just always been there. At least like, it's either in you or it's not. And if it's in you and you're, you're thinking about getting a boat, I, I love you. You said like, just do it. Because the other freedom is that I found is my husband is not from the area, so he didn't grow up on the water. And so we got a boat together a couple of years ago and there was this freedom. Where I was like, this is not our last boat. This is our boat right now. Right. And we're going to figure it out. 
And there's going to be things we like about it. There's going to be things we don't like about it, but we're going to sell it in a couple of years. And then we may get the same one. We may get a different one. Like there's going to be all these nuances that you start to find out of what kind of boat are you, what kind of boater are you? And so the trawlers for me are fascinating because you know, that's the boating I've done is the boating I've done. Maybe go to the keys. Like it's very similar, right? But then yeah. when, I th- when I started meeting the trawlers and the spirit within the trawlers and doing the great loop, my eyes just got so wide. And I, I literally came home and I said, I think I'd love to do this. I think we could do this. And there's a lot just, of energy, a lot of energy yes. at an event like Trawler Fest and the, the people who want to buy these boats, they're very analytical. They're typically successful people. Um, they, they've worked hard all their lives. They've been planning on this. It's rarely an impulse purchase. Uh, when I was back at Nordhaven, so I, I did Pacific Seacraft for seven years. PAE Nordhaven came to Pacific Seacraft with a new design, their Nordhaven 40. Pacific Seacraft started building that for them. And I we were also doing, a, developed a 38T, a fast trawler, Bruce King design. So I was dabbling a little bit in the powerboat side, got involved in the, the Nordhaven side. And, uh, and I ended up working at Nordhaven for 14 years before leaving in 2014 and starting JMYS, but I've been to all these trawler fests, met all these people, and they they just love doing it. But but in the old days, before this thing called the internet, which is enabling us to have this conversation, has completely changed every single business. I don't like overused words like disruptive, but it's really changed it. Mm-hmm. I remember in about my tenth year at Nordhaven, I sold a couple of boats, and it happened to me twice. That's why I remembered. I think, but people came to a boat deal for the for the transaction, for the survey and the sea trial. And I said, I've got my Jeff Merrill folder. And they popped down this folder of printed documents that was phone book size. Anybody remember what a phone book is? Uh, you know, a couple <laughs> inches thick of all of our correspondence. And they said, we have been talking for 10 years. You've sent me specs. You've sent me drawings. You've sent me all this details. And I just wanted you to see I've saved every page, saved every letter. And now we're finally able to do it. So thank you for sticking with me. 10 years was common as a lead time from first contact to buying. Now, wow, the 10 internet, years? 10 years, 10 years, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it, and so it, it, it's changed. If you're looking to become a yacht broker and want to get into this, uh, it's a <laughs> lot faster now. The window is shorter because there's so much information online. Mm-hmm. And now we get buyers or people who think they're buyers or want to explore it. They're somewhat educated, that, right? They're already- They know a lot more than we do on a lot of the aspects, a lot more than the brokers ask very good questions. They have educated themselves. They know a lot about which boat. And that, that, that's the fun part. Which boat are you going to get? And what is your adventure going to be? You know, where are you going to go? And, and I love that. again, I don't like the overuse, but what's the right tool for the job or what, what's your mission? Or kind of overstated things, but, but it's appropriate. You have to decide. If you want to cross oceans, then you're not going to get a semi-displacement boat. It's just not designed mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, if you want to travel coastal, you can use a full displacement boat. But maybe it's better if you're going a little bit faster so you can get in before the sun sets or if the weather's changing. So you have to kind of analyze all this stuff. But when they contact us now, they know I want, and I'll, I'll make up a brand name here that doesn't exist. I want an Albatross 52. Great. How are you planning on using it? We have a, a list of just off the top of our head because we've had these conversations so many times, things to ask them. And I will often say that it really is what, what you want to do makes sense. That sounds like a good boat. But, and again, the fun part is figuring out what you want to do and where you want to go, but there is a business aspect to this. So let's just talk for a little bit about the less fun part. There is how you're going to pay for the boat, whether you're getting a marine loan or you have a bank loan, where you're going to keep the boat, whether you're keeping it temporarily or having a home port. And the biggest obstacle right now, it's really, really tough, is insurance. How are you going to, have you you talked to an insurance underwriter and are you pre-qualified for buying a boat, uh, you need to be pre-qualified for, for your amount of money if you're going to spend to buy a boat. But And we have a list of great insurance brokers, great finance brokers who have worked with our clients, but people are a little bit surprised. They didn't know or they didn't think about the insurance thing. And the number of underwriters uh, and, and major companies who, who underwrite boats has diminished. Uh, I have a degree in economics. There's this thing called supply and demand. And Believe me, there, there's very little supply they can demand whatever price they want. So prices are high for insurance, even for renewing. But for a new boater, and this is the big surprise for them, is it's not just you can't just go buy the boat and go off cruising. You have to also have uh, and, and typically you need insurance for a marina 
and the insurance underwriters will not let you leave the dock until you've been signed off by a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain that you're a good, safe risk. And if you tell these these buyers this up front, they get it. And they say, well, yeah, no, that makes sense. I don't I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I think yeah. I know. Or I've, I've never had a boat before. I definitely don't know what I'm doing. I've had many boats, but I don't know what a Fleming 55 is like or a Marlowe 70, whatever, whatever the boat is that they're looking to buy. And I would like to have some captain training. But when you go into the process, and, and I'm sadly, a lot of brokers do this, they get the cart ahead of the horse and they're into the survey, the sea mm-hmm. trial. And it used to be you had a 30 day window from offer to closing and you could get the financing done in that time frame, get the survey done in that time frame and the insurance done in that time frame. We really don't like to write up an offer unless we know all these things are ready to go. Uh, and, and we don't want to lose out on a boat, a hot boat that's ready on the market. But yeah. if you're not ready, you could spend a lot of time and money and then find out, hey, you, you aren't qualified. Or insurance people are saying you need a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain. And they might say 50 hours. OK, well, that's, that's a lot of time, but that yeah. it's a finite number. It's black and white. They're also saying you need a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain for one year. But, but every day, how long? What does that mean one year? I, I don't like it when we get that kind of an answer back from the insurance company. So I try to have our our buyers say, tell me specifically what you want. And if you're you're shopping for a boat now, it's a good idea not only to figure out what kind of boat you want, but start getting some of these skills. Maybe talk to the insurance people and see what they want from you. So you need to know weather, you need to know navigation, you need to know anchoring, you need to know docking, you need to know how the systems work. If you can charter a boat, if you can if you can go out with your friend and do some deliveries, there's a lot of things you can do that will only make you want to get a boat more and make you better qualified when you can find the right boat to be able to do it. If you have an aviation background, airplanes, pilots, a lot of people who fly buy boats. That is a strong credential for an insurance company. If you are on a farm and you have diesel machinery, tractors and things, diesel engines or diesel engines, you know, there's different cooling and things, but but essentially those are key things that you need to know um, because this is one of the beauties of being an owner operator. And that's the market that, that JMYS supports. We we could probably sell bigger boats, make more money and deal with captains. I'm not interested in that. And it, yes, I have to make money to do this, but I love the people and matching them up with the right boats and well, seeing them Well, it's a very intimate up. relationship. You know what I mean? It like, yes, yes. well, the, the, the ownership of a boat, like you and your boat, that is a very intimate relationship. And, yes. and what you were just saying is, I think it's so prominent in our industry is that it's ex- it's an exciting thing. It, it is an exciting thing. No matter what size boat you're getting, once you identify that you are ready to join that part of the world for those adventures, it's really exciting. But what I see very quickly is people will go from very excited to very overwhelmed. And it's overwhelmed almost, is a great, yes. Yeah. And it's almost like, okay, never mind. I, 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 I this is too much for me. I I'm done. So everything you said, I was like, that's, I mean, it could be overwhelmed unless you're sitting down with somebody like yourself that's going to say, all right, let's go through this. What is it that you want to do with the boat? What are you envisioning? How often are you going to go out? Are you familiar with X, Y, Z? Are you willing to put in the time to anchor, to dock, um, to learn all of these systems? Because if not, you may feel overwhelmed and you may just call it quits. You, you, you could be a person that can only be on the boat for two weeks out of the year. You got a bigger boat, you have a captain, and that's fine. But that's not who we like to work with. We prefer that you and your husband buy it. You take your kids. So we need to talk about staterooms and heads and, mm-hmm. and who all is going to be on board. And you guys go out and this is what you do, whether you do it on a sabbatical and take the kids and homeschool them on the boat, or you guys just do it on long trips or do it for summers. We like to make sure that our clients are ready to operate the boat. In earlier days when I wasn't as active, and the, the market's been crazy since since 2020 when COVID changed everything, just like the internet changed everything. Uh, I used to be able to schedule time with my clients after they purchased the boat to come back. And it was more beneficial if it happened a couple of weeks or a couple months after they purchased the boat. I'm there for the survey. I'm pointing out things during the, 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 the whole due diligence process. I give them a huge folder of uh, documents for training. We recommend that they get Vessel Vanguard if they don't have it so that they can keep track of all the systems. There's there's 18 maybe 28 important, super critical systems on a boat that you need to know the serial number, the model, the spare parts, and have the right tools for them. And that's where you guys offer an incredible service for them. But yep. I find that if I can come back a couple months later and say, all right, you can figure out 
the galley, the kitchen. You can figure out the bedrooms, the staterooms. You can figure out the heads. You know, the, the house stuff you can figure out. After you've had the boat for a while, I come and say, all right, what do you guys want to do? Well, we want to practice docking. Great. We want to practice anchoring. I love Great. that. We've never transferred fuel. Well, let's show you how that works. And so I go there with an open, and you know, I say, you know what? I don't remember on this boat how you do that. Let's get the manual out and let's figure it out together and show them. And I, I'm kind of famous for my blue tape. So I like to have a, a roll of blue tape and a Sharpie pen. And I go through the boat and I label things. And I, and I do that during the survey and take photos of it. Because there's a weird contraption in the Lazarette. And I'll ask the buyer, I said, you know what that is? I said, no, I don't know. Well, if you're going to buy this boat, you need to know what that is and what that is and what that is. So let's make some labels. This is your hot water tank. Label, Sharpie pen. This is your crane power pack. That's the hydraulic oil for it. Now, and, and some manufacturers, and I, and I will give a, a high compliment to Outer Reef, and I think they work with you guys too. They but do. You get into the engine room on, on some of the Outer Reefs, and they have a QR code on the item. And so you're down there with your phone, you hold it up, and now why they decided to use the camera to make sure you can see stuff. I, I, I don't know how that was all created. But anyway, you, you, you hold that up, and it'll give you the part number, the model number, the spare parts, what you have in inventory of Vessel Vanguard. That, that type of technology is available. I'm back a little bit more old school with blue tape and Sharpie, but there's so many <laughs> things you need to know and you can download all the manuals, but you guys offer that for them. You can figure out the spare parts, but you guys offer that to them. So the Vessel Vanguard system is just an incredible way to keep track of your boat because there's plenty of other stuff with all of the operations of the boat, the anchoring, the docking, the, the planning, the provisioning. It's nice to also have you guys in their wheelhouse, the original brand, yeah, you know, to be, to help organize them because I'll I'll, I'll admit that I don't know everything on a boat. I'm not an engineer, and I don't do I, I I know what the valves are. I know how diesel engines work, but I don't want to mess it up going in there trying to fix it. Yeah. Uh, one very surprising thing for me was going through some spare parts with somebody, and we found a, an anode that was super long and cylindrical. And I said, "What is this?" And they said, oh, that's for the hot water tank. Said, the hot water tanks have a anode for protection? He goes, yeah, I read it in the manual. It was in my vessel Vanguard thing, and I didn't know, so I've got three. So, you know, the system you guys offer with all the manuals and all of the yeah. spare parts, and you can get them. I mean, that, that that is that's a big relief for a lot of people to know that there's something on there that will provide that to them. You know, I think you just hit the nail on the head with the word relief. And I work with all the owners, anybody that comes on board, I get a chance to connect with. And what kind of boat are you getting? Is this your first? Is this your fifth? You know, what's the case? Are we building something new? But, you know, providing this type of information to be at your fingertips, which is why we're doing it. It's it's almost a new concept that I have to kind of walk through and the minute say, hey, well, I'm going to give you all the details of everything happening with your boat. So whatever it is that you need, you're going to have it there readily available right in the palm of your hand. You need a serial number, you need a manufacturer, you need a contact information. If there's a recall, what, you guys can alert them. Yeah. All it's of that. You have warranty fabulous. information, yeah. you know, um, it just gives you all of, all of that data. So I, it's, it's interesting for me coming from a couple different industries and I came from aviation as well as the Marine industry um, where I'm like trying to like, no, 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 no. You don't just have to guess and, and don't cut the wire if the alarm is going off because it's bothering you. <laughs> like you can go somewhere and get the information. You were mentioning the blue tape. I am seeing a lot of my owners will hand draw an image of their boat and then they'll write all of their notations on the pump is on this side or, you know, this is what you're looking for. Click this switch and they have all their handwritten notes. They scan it. They upload it into their vessel Vanguard. And so whenever they need to reference it, they have That's it right good. there. And I love yeah. that. I'm like, that works with my brain too. I can have the information that I need specific to how my brain works and how my boat functions right in front of me. So I'm Nor glad Hobbit that we're partners. Katie, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, I would say that um, two of the boats that we're very actively involved in are Nordhaven and Katie Krogan, and both companies offer a extensive operator's manual that is built for that boat with schematics and shows you the plumbing system or the gray water system or the black water system shows you the electrical, oftentimes a through-hole diagram. Uh, this is all huge, hugely helpful stuff. And if you're buying a new boat, you get it and it's based on your boat. If you're buying a used boat, that information is there. Now, if you buy a boat that's 10 years old, some of the original components, I'm sorry to tell you, they've worn out, they've been replaced. So the the uh, 
the seaward 10 gallon hot water tank now may be a torrid 20 water guy but still plumbed in the, and probably in the same location you just have to update the pages on there but having that as a reference is huge because let's face it you want to get this boat and get away you want to go to some places that other people aren't and again spoiler alert things on boats don't always live up to they, they break they, you know you have to fix right. things and so if you know what it is and you might have the spare part even if you don't know how to fix it yourself you can kind of diagnose it that should be part of your responsibility as the owner of the boat and then you can call in you guys or call in the broker or call on a service guy and say i think this is what happened you you can do facetime phone calls with people in tropical places with starlink thank you elon musk you know you can get that internet almost anywhere and you can do a lot of stuff you can go further places further away and you may not have the spare part but you can usually get in touch with somebody who can help get you back to a form of civilization where you can affect the repair. So tell me, okay, so if somebody were to come looking for you, because we'll have all the links to be able to find you and all the services that you provide. But if somebody were to click that link, what, give me an overview of your first contact with somebody that says, I want to get into the market. I want to buy a boat. What is the next step in that conversation with you? Well, we do like to have a conversation by phone or Zoom. Uh, I'm really big on having everything in writing and having an email exchange. Mm -hmm. I love that part too. But these conversations are so scattered. I don't have a an outline of on a first call, we need to cover these details. It, it just, it's too spontaneous. It's, mm -hmm. it's it, it just gets in different places. But I want to find out what their boating background is. Uh, again, if they've, if they've had multiple boats, uh, the insurance people may say, you can only go up 10 feet in size. You know, that's a rule of thumb. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to apply to them, but that's one thing to think about. Okay, you want a 50-foot boat, you've had a 40-foot boat, probably should be pretty good. Uh, we need to find out what kind of cruising they want to do, uh, what type of boats they've looked at. Have they talked to any other brokers? I mean, part of this is you have a choice as a buyer which boat you want to buy, and oftentimes you also have a choice of which broker or who you want to use as your broker uh, before I spend too much time with somebody, I like to ask one question, and that is, are you working with another broker or are you searching independently? Uh, it doesn't matter to me what the answer is, except that it helps me guide. Yes, I have spent 10 years working with Billy Bob at Jones Marine. So, okay, well, I'm happy you're calling me about my listing and Billy Bob will be representing you. That's fine. I'm happy to share details about the boat, but I don't want to get into the other aspects of it because they may have a different approach to how they do things. So mm -hmm. it's something that I wish more brokers would do because there's nobody owns anybody. Yeah, it's uh, like a gentleman's agreement looking, almost. Well, yes, but but a lot of brokers get uptight and say, well, I showed that guy a boat. Uh, he never mentioned you. Well, guess what? You know, I'm sorry. We, we do try. If you want to work with us, that's one thing we'll say is let us set up your appointments for showing. You are welcome to call any broker you want, but we don't want to be invited in after the fact I don't think that's fair to me or the other broker. So if you want us to work with you, we actually have a program, a written contract. It's more of a formal handshake where you appoint us as your broker. That's call number eight or nine. That's We don't lead with that. I'm sorry, maybe I shouldn't even mention it here. But when we sit down and talk with you, what kind of cruising do you want to do? What's your boating background? Where do you want to keep the boat? What have you done? How are you going to pay for it? Um, what type of money are you prepared to put into a boat? Um, I'd like to that's make it a, a little great bit question because that's that's not just the purchase price, right? Like, well, it's not. No, and so I, I tell people, you realize that buying a boat is a financially irresponsible decision, and they kind of look at me and they I say, okay, you know, it's kind of funny, it's kind of fun, but it's true. You typically up until the COVID years, which started in 2020, boats were guaranteed to go down in price. Now boats are holding their better their value better, and some boats went up in price. Some people bought a boat and sold it for more. Now, I think that market has shifted away from that. That tide has come in and gone out. But yeah, we need to know what their plans are, what type of boat they want to buy. And I was just talking to somebody the other day. I have a listing, a Nordhaven 47, and the, the asking price is in the 900s. And we sold another Nordhaven 47 last year that sold for 500. Same model boat, $400,000 different. And I was telling this to the guy. So, well, why is that? I said, well, the $900,000 boat is not going to need very much to be added to it. You can always spend more money. You can always do the upholstery, put a new dinghy on, replace the electronics. You can always spend money. But the $900,000 boat is ready to go. 
And if you buy that boat, you're not going to have a lot of extra money to be spent after you purchase. The $500,000 boat needed a lot of work. That boat may end up being a million dollar boat by the time they're done, but they're going to spread it out over time. So what you were saying earlier, Rhiannon, is the price you do, you spend to buy the boat, the cost to become the owner and then start paying insurance and all the different fees. That's just the first step. The spending continues and you think you got a great deal and you buy a $500,000 boat and then you add up the numbers two or three years into it and say, wow, if we had known we were going to spend $900,000, maybe we should have thought about buying a $900,000 boat and not spend all the time <laughs> and the money to get this boat right. But everybody has to make that decision on their own. Right. So, right. That's so what I say. It's a, it is very intimate. Like you have to be willing to share and get into the nitty gritty details so that you're prepared and you can enjoy the whole reason that you're getting into the industry in the first place. Yeah. I like to also say if you had to make a decision tomorrow and that's coming across salesy, I'm not trying to be salesy. We, we are technically salespeople or brokers, but we, we call ourselves trawler specialists and mm -hmm. we are interested in connecting people with the right boat. You're not going to buy something that you don't want because I told you to buy it. There's no selling involved. You know, we're not used car salesmen. We're trying to help people understand what their choices are and yeah. make the best, most informed decision. So, so it's very important for us to, to find out what boats they've been on, what they like. But I like to ask in an early conversation is if you, with what you know now, we're going to buy a boat tomorrow, what boat would that be? Okay. I want a Celine 55. Fantastic boat. Do you want a wide body or a double walk around? Oh, I don't know. I didn't know there was a choice there. Okay. So let's study Celine 55. Let's make that our benchmark boat and let's focus on finding the best Celine 55 and understanding the best Celine 55. And part of that should also be evaluating other boats that might be comparable. So Krogan has a 52 and a 58, kind of either side of that. They also have a 55 that's non-flybridge. Do you need, how important is a flybridge to you? So let's look, if you're looking at Celine, let's look at Krogan. Let's look at Nordhoff. Nordhoff has a 55, they have a 52, they have a 60. Let's compare. And then you need to get on these boats to see them and decide which ones you like the best. I will try to ask people a little bit about their body size. If you're an NBA player and you're seven foot tall, the owner operator boat model may or may not work for you because you're not going to be able to fit there and fix things. Um, so if they're a lot of the manufacturers have kind of a standard rule of thumb of trying to get the headroom in the cabins and the staterooms at six foot five and the beds accordingly. A lot of people are taller than that. And some of the engine rooms get to be a little bit cramped for these people. So oh, yeah. again, how, how tall, how wide, um, the typical uh, husband and wife couple, um, it varies. Sometimes the woman is the captain and she does everything. And sometimes the man is the captain does everything. Uh, but typically one of them is better in the galley than the other. Um, I'm, I'm more of an eater than a cooker, but uh, so I'll, I'll have, it doesn't matter who's cooking for me. I, I'm happy to, to be there. But <laughs> if there is a, a tall microwave in the galley and the person who's going to be to the cooking can't quite reach it, then we need to talk about, do we build a custom step in here? Do we get a folding? Again, you have to go through the boat. Once, as you yeah. narrow down, it's a process of elimination. It's yeah. a narrowing down. And you can do all kinds of research online to figure out what boats you think are the most appealing to you. But the real test is getting on board and trying. We use the expression, trying them on for size. We actually yeah. have a document that we give to our clients. Bring a tape measure with you. Bring your camera. Bring a copy of the spec sheet. Ask these questions. Find out about this. Look for this. Look for that in the engine room. You got to go everywhere throughout the boat. Because what I don't, what I had happen a lot of times is people would be driving away and I'd say, what about this? Oh, we never thought to look at that. Okay, well, you can't turn around and go back. So I write too much. I give too much information, but I do have a checklist for people. Oh, wonderful. For size that we email to our clients. If you're working with us, I send it to you. If you're working with another broker, they can give you their guidelines. Again, I don't want mm -hmm. to tell them how to do their job or interfere with how they like to do things, but we have that. And it's got a lot of important things. If, if the, when you're on a boat looking at it, if you're thinking that you want to buy it, why would you not want to measure the dimensions on the bed and, and ask for permission maybe to even get up there and lay down on it? Absolutely. It just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So, I'll tell you, I mean, yeah. we, uh, we just had this experience recently because um, our, our boat was at Key West. So we had a 24 foot Key West in our console. That's what I wanted people to do the family thing, go out and fish and everything. Great. And great boat, Ideal. 250 Yamaha, you know, and 
It was fantastic. Well, then I went out on a friend's boat, 24 foot, same powered engine, same exact engine, um, Southern Cross. So had a, a wider hull. And so, you know, the, the Key West kind of cuts in a deeper V. The ride was totally different. Because on my boat, if, we, if there's any type of, if we've got 10 to 20 knots out there, it, we, we feel it. We, you know, the, everybody's feeling the hit of the waves and we got the wind coming. I couldn't believe in the Southern Cross. We just cruised right over everything. Same size. Was boat, it a multi-hull? Were you, are you, was it a multi-hull or were they both monohulls? They were both monohulls. Yeah. Okay. Because the catamaran differences also can, can affect the ride. Well, yeah, you, you talk about a wet boat or a dry boat. And that's another thing that we talk to people about is, so I was at Nordhaven for 14 years. Everybody wants a Nordhaven. When it comes to trawlers, nah, I shouldn't say word like everybody, but a lot of people say, I want a Nordhaven. And then we start having the conversation. I say, yes, a Nordhaven would do the job for you. But what you're really, for what you're really planning on doing, an American tug or a Nordic tug might be a better fit for you. I'm not saying don't buy the Nordhaven. I'm just saying evaluate these other ones before you make that final decision. And yeah. what, you, what you just expressed, though, the ride part, is where we are not able to help our clients as well as we would like. You don't get to go for a test ride. Uh, people say, yeah, I'm kind of flying in from here and here, and I'd like to go for a ride on the boat. This business is not set up for that. Uh, we're not in the boat ride business. If you want to go for a ride, we need to figure out a way to get you on somebody who has a sister ship who would be willing to take you on. And a lot of the people who bought their boats did have opportunities to crew or get on other boats. But if you if we were in the boat ride business, why would you buy a boat? You could just decide anytime you wanted to go for a boat ride, give Jeff a call, set up a viewing, and let's go for a boat ride on that boat. It's not not the same, obviously, as owning the boat and operating it. But uh, the sea trial, when you buy a boat, you put a boat under contract, the sea trial, the underway part, is hour, two hours, three hours. It's not, it's, and we sometimes you go out in the ocean, sometimes you don't. Um, but I think that also gets me to, the reality of owning a boat and using it, and I've had this conversation with many people for doing this for a long time, is the amount of time that you're on board. If you're on board 100% of the time, of the 100% of the time that you're on board, maybe 3% you're underway. That is a very minuscule number. If that's true, there's no way it's 10% you're underway. I think it's more like 3% of the time you're on board the boat, you're underway, which means that you're in the marina or you're at anchor the large majority of the time. Wow, so, that's really so interesting. You need a full displacement ocean crossing boat. Yes, when you're crossing the oceans, that's going to be part of that 3% of the time. Uh, I say that to people, and you can talk to other people, and I'd be happy if people want to comment on this and give me their experience, uh, because I've had this conversation enough times with people that I feel comfortable stating that. Even active cruisers who are out there doing it all the time, They've got to stop and rest, and they might run for two weeks at a time and do a long ocean crossing, and then they stay someplace for two months. It's a very small percentage of the time, which leads to where I'm trying to get what this is, the layout of the boat, what it's like at rest, the, the stairs, the height, the headroom, how you work through it, the flow of the boat is very, very important. And if you're looking at full displacement boats, Get on these different boats and see which one has the best layout or the, the, the layout that appeals to you most. If you're looking at semi-displacement boats, same thing. Look at the flow and the layout because you're going to be spending a lot more time not going anywhere than you may imagine. That's really interesting. If that was, I would have lost on that if it was a trivia question. Well, Professor Merrill isn't doing a, a trivia game here, but I, I, again, <laughs> I, I think that that is true. Uh, now, so let's, the other part, and this is part of my conversations that I have with people is you are underway uh, of that, let's say 100% uh, of the time that you're underway. So now we're down to that, that narrow part of your, your life on board. How much time do you get rough weather that's uncomfortable? Well, if you're watching the weather, which is fairly predictable these days, you don't go out there um, or you, or you schedule your trip. I like to schedule my trip to get the bad weather out of the way first. So I know I'm heading to better weather because if you've got a two or week, two week interval, if you can schedule it, you want to try to go out there when it's going to be safe and comfortable. You get caught in bad weather. That's what happens. If you know you're going out in bad weather, then don't complain about the rough ride, but maybe 3% of the time that you're offshore, if you're weather wary, you'll have uncomfortable weather 3% of the time. So 97, three, 97, three. 
I think are two very good numbers. I'll even go with 95-5, 95-5, but I'm not going 50-50. I mean, no way. It's way up there in the small numbers or in the large numbers, depending on which way you're looking at it. Interesting. You right, have a so- lot more time on the boat to fix all those projects that Vessel Vanguard <laughs> is reminding you about. Right? You have a lot more time to pull up your Vessel Vanguard system and to be able to see exactly what needs to be done and get it all taken care of. All right, so yeah. Trawler Fest is coming up and you're yes. going, I'm going, but tell me more about, I mean, that seems like the ideal place. I'm sure that's the, one of the key reasons for, you know, hosting the Trawler Fest all throughout the year is to give you a chance to go see what's out there. Go see the boats, walk on the boats, meet the people, mingle with the community. So tell me uh, what your objective is. I think you're representing two boats at this year's. Well, yeah. So yeah, Trawler Fest, I have been involved in Trawler Fest for over 20 years as a presenter and have been doing it even longer than that. And I, to me, those are the boat shows that I like to do. Uh, I, I, I get the Boston Boat Show. I get the Newport Boat Show, Annapolis, Southern mm-hmm. California, Seattle, Flibs, Miami. They are great events, but they are not really trawler centric. Trawler Fest mm-hmm. is all focused on trawlers. Now, a whole separate conversation. What is a trawler? Well, you know, is it a Ranger tug or is it a KD Krogan 58 or is something in between or all of them? Is it a single hull or a multi-hull? Trawler Fest has a lot of very comfortable power boats that you can live aboard and spend a lot of time on. And maybe that's a looser, more current definition of trawlers. But we, I think they have 25 to 30, maybe even 40 boats ready to be on display at the Trawler Fest. We had some, some rough years there where there weren't as many boats available because all the boats had been sold. And as a, as a broker with inventory with used boats for sale, I have to make decisions on Trawler Fest a couple months out. Mm. Um, and, and Ryan, who manages it for them, is very good. He wants to have a full show. In fact, I talked to him the other day. They're sold out. No one else can put another boat. They, they, they would love to have more dock space, which was not a problem in the past. We got down to maybe 15 boats at some of the Trawler Fest. It wasn't as, a, as, as a good of a value for somebody coming in to look at boats. But if I put either one of these boats under contract, and the buyer doesn't want to have it in the trawler fest, then I have to kind of do some backpedaling. Now, at this stage, our Nordhaven 50 and our Sling 55 are both available. And even if they were under contract, it's too close to trawler fest. We need to commit and continue that, that process there. So we will have two boats. Uh, we will be in the tents uh, to be able to talk to people. And then I have four different um, seminar events that I'm participating in or running. So, so what are those? Be, uh, active. What are those? Yeah, so you have four? Yeah, so I have um, two that I've been doing for a very long time. One is called Dialing in Your Trawler and goes back to my blue tape days and goes back to my sailboat racing days. So have you ever raced sailboats, Rhiannon? Have you ever done any sailboat racing? I have racing? not. Okay, well, it's it's a fantastic sport. It's an Olympic sport. There's a lot of athleticism there. It's not just yachting with cocktails. Uh, as a young boy, I had a Sharpie pen way back before I had blue tape. And when you're out there getting ready to sail and set up for a race, you go and test the course out and look at the different ley lines and try to get a feel before the race starts. And I would usually take the Sharpie pen and put a band of of black, a ring, where I liked my main sheet to be cleated. So that was Mm -hmm. marking where it went in the cleat. So after the starting line, once I got settled in, that was my fast position. And I did that for a lot of things. If you go out racing sailboats and you have your sails tight in, you get to the top mark and you're not going down when you let your sails out. Well, where were you last time when you were you had your trim right? Anyway, as I got involved in trawlers, I noticed, I thought, I wonder if there's anything you can do on a powerboat like you can do on a sailboat to make it easier to keep track of things and to know where you are. And on one of my first trawlers, I noticed that someone had put a piece of red tape, a little triangle, at about 180 degrees on the engine temperature. And I said, what, what's that all about? Why, why do you have on your analog gauge, why do you have a little red mark there? He said, well, that's the normal position. So 180, 185, that's the coolant temperature on this engine. So at a quick glance, I can look up there. I'm on the red arrow. Everything's good. And they did that with other things. And I thought, oh, wow. So <laughs> you can do this type of thing. And there's engine mounts. And anyway, I put together a talk for Trawler Fest on dialing in your trawler. And I okay. always carry a camera. Now I now I carry my phone and it, it does a better job than any camera I ever owned. And I took pictures of things. And so I put together this collection of tips that you could do that would apply to any trawler. It didn't matter if it was a Nordhaven or a Krogan or a Marlow. And any of these boats, a person who owns one can can get 
ideas on what they could put in their own trawler. And when I did that, and it was announced, I got a call from Tim Queenie, who's the publisher of Ocean Navigator magazine. And he said, I see you're doing a seminar dialing in your trawler. Would you write an article for us about that? And I said, oh, you want me to write an article about that? Sure. He said, we'll pay you. I said, you're going to pay me to write an article? That sounds even better. I've written a lot of articles for Nordhaven on the website, but I never got paid for that. And it was just to celebrate the people and help the website mm-hmm. and help the company out. So anyway, I wrote the article, did the talk. I've been doing this talk now for 15 years, maybe 18 years. It modifies slightly. But the funny part for me was Tim Queenie called me back and said, hey, that article went really well. Can you write another article about dialing oh, in your trolley? fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, I already wrote the article. He goes, well, there's got to be other things you can write about. Well, that led to about 24 articles on dialing in your trawler. So this is the kind of stuff as you get into it, there's, there's, there's you're never going to know it all. And that was yeah. a lot of fun to write those. So I'm doing dialing in your trawler, getting back to your, sorry, off on a tangent again, uh, to your question. I'm doing dialing in your trawler. Okay. Uh, I'm also doing a talk called uh, Offshore Underway. And okay. this has to do with the 3% of the time that you're actually moving the boat and doing something. And it's a lot about the checklist you need, uh, mm. how to stand watch, what you do on an engine room check, what navigation items are on a boat. It's a refresher for somebody who hasn't done it in a while. And it's an eye opener for people who are thinking about buying a boat. And mm. want, what, what's it like? If I want to go from Stewart, where the trawler fest is, up to Charleston, I could do the intercoastal waterway. But, but I'm buying a boat that I can take offshore. What's it like? What, what do you do when you run at night? What's different? So it's a talk about those types of things. And then I'm also doing, a, I'm a moderator for two other um, seminars. And all this is on the Trawler Fest website. And, and Yes, uh, and we will you, definitely hyperlink it below so you can go in and see okay. where the list is. Because I went on the website and you can actually see when your, your um, seminars are going to be and purchase yes. tickets directly to those, I believe. Right. Yes, you can. Yes. And so uh, a real fun one that I'm doing where I moderate is called Trawler Buying Tips. And so oh. this is something where if you're in the market to buy a trawler, uh, Steve Zimmerman leads it off. Great friend, good guy with a discussion on semi-displacement versus full displacement. He's actually mm. come up with a pretty cool formula where you and the audience sit there and say, check these boxes. And he'll say, OK, well, you're looking at a 50 foot semi-displacement boat or you're looking at a 45 foot full displacement boat. He's got a, a, a neat math equation just to kind of help people narrow this down. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Posey from Total Dollar Insurance will be there to talk about insurance, the critical insurance thing we talked about before. Cindy Lewis, I believe, is going to be representing Sterling Finance to talk about boat loans and how much is down and what are interest rates. Matt Miller, an excellent marine attorney in Florida, will be talking about the legal aspect. Should I put this boat in an LLC? What do I do in Florida on the 90-day decal? That's or do, great. I, do I, you know, so it's a it's a it's a team teach deal with several people. Um, in talk, and I'm going to talk about the role of a yacht broker. Uh, Chris Caldwell is going to be there to talk about, and he's not, a, he's a captain, but he's going to talk about what he sees at a survey. So if you're going to buy a boat, there's a lot of things to it. And yeah. that's another one where I was approached by Passage Maker a couple of years ago. Would you write a, a column for us on buying a trawler? You, you, you've been doing this for a long time. You speak at our things. You're, you're doing this. So I've now written I don't know, 15 articles called Trawler Transactions for Passage Maker Magazine mm. about the different steps from how do you get your financing, your insurance, what happens during a survey. And I've got about, I think I'm going to wrap it up this year. I think I've got about five more articles to go um, to, to kind of go through. And it's sort of, I tried to write it from, if you read every article all the way through, you'd have a pretty good idea of the whole process. Uh, so anyway, that that's, that's my, fantastic. Uh, I have one last seminar, which is really fun. It was started years ago by Bruce Kessler, Bruce and Joan Kessler, very good personal friends, uh, father and mother figure for me, and really kind of founders of our of our industry in many ways. They circumnavigated on a boat called Zopalote, a Northern Marine, and were the first powerboat to do that, recreational powerboat. And they didn't set out to do that. They just wanted to go fishing and catch marlin. That's a completely separate story to talk about there. But we would have a round table. We've done this for many years at the Trawler Fest. I think it's now called Ask the Experts. And I don't like being considered an expert. I'd like to be considered somebody who knows a lot or a specialist. But anyway, that's the name of it. And we will have uh, Bruce Kessler used to be there. It'll be Steve Zimmerman again, Bob Arrington, who's an excellent writer, great operator, owner operator, Uh, Eric Bescoby, who works with me, 
has done the big U, which is the uh, Seattle through the Panama Canal to Maine. Uh, Chris and Elise Caldwell will be there. I'm blanking because I don't have it in front of me. I don't mean to not mention somebody else, but it's a it's an open forum. Bring your questions, and I try to keep it moving along so we don't get into too much stuff about where do you hide your guns when you're cruising in Central America because <laughs> you're not supposed to have any guns. You know what I mean? So like, let's just have that conversation elsewhere. That's a lot of really great content. I if there's a way for us to sponsor or support any of those conversations. My first thought was the offshore and underway when you said checklist. So I was like, gosh, I mean, that, that would be a really easy place for us if we could sponsor or be a part of that conversation. I don't even know if it's probably coming up pretty hot and close to I the do event, mention, so. in, in one, yeah, one of my slides and dialing in your trawler is getting Vessel Vanguard wheelhouse type of technology on your boat as yes. a tip. It's kind of giving tips. So yeah, you guys and, and uh, Barry Callender who started wheelhouse and Craig Parkhurst, I mean, those guys really... Fantastic. I mean, really good pioneers here. I know you guys are all working together. I think, I don't know if they're involved in the company anymore, but the, what they've started and what you guys have grown with them has gone into this amazing company. So continued yes. success for you guys. Yes, I love it. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to be in the audience and you can point to me. <laughs> yeah, if you want to get in the audience and I, I welcome and maybe, maybe so there, there are typically three trawler fests each year. This is the first mm -hmm. one, Stuart, Florida. Then there's one in Anacortes in May. And then there's one in Baltimore in September. Approximate dates. I think they've got all the dates scheduled right now on their calendar. So if you can't yes. make this one, and you know what? Even if you are planning on buying a boat in Florida, going to the one in Baltimore is not that far. You might find your boat somewhere on the eastern seaboard if you're looking to buy a boat. But the knowledge that you get, the boats you can see, the mm -hmm. seminars, the vendors and the tents, it is a fantastic experience. And it's, uh, it's, a it's kind of a, a multi-brand rendezvous. It's not a big sales pitch thing. And there are there will be some new boats there. There'll be some brokerage boats there. The boats that are there need to be represented by a broker. It's There's no for sale by owner. Uh, you know, it's a very sophisticated, well-run organization. There are gatherings and meals. But yeah, if you want to sit in and we can talk about what we can do to fine-tune my talks and promote some more stuff with you guys for, uh, for Anacortes or Baltimore, I, I think yeah. what you guys are doing is fabulous. I love it. That would be really great. And I think we can probably, you know, circle back and we can wrap this up with how we started it. And what you had just said is come to these events, mingle with the people, because at the end of the day, it's not about the boat. It's about the people and getting a chance to be a part of a community and something really, really special and adventure that not everybody gets to do. Yes, absolutely. Dive right in and be a part of the community. I think everybody that I talk to in the trawler world, um, they just have the same spirit and it is very just a strong community of helping each other um just being there to assist and so i think that right there like get to the trawler fest you'll find out if you're if you're ready for the adventure and, and if not there'll be a lot of people that'll talk you into it <laughs> you can find out you know what it's like and i, and I would like yeah. to also say that thank you for inviting me here and i can't speak on behalf of other brokers but there are a lot of really good brokers out there um so part of your searching for a boat can also be searching for the right broker. Absolutely. If it's a specific boat, a new boat, you're going to be working with somebody with that company. There's a lot of really good brokers out there. Everybody does things slightly differently. But uh, again, look at boats and look at brokers as part of this process as well. Yeah, I think it's incredibly helpful. I think getting into the boating world is one of the best things you can do, but being prepared and knowing what you're walking into is, is without a doubt one of the most important things. So we will hyperlink your website so you can have all the services Thank that Jeff you. offers. Um, we'll also hyperlink the Trawler Fest and the talks that he's going to be um, participating in and that you'll know exactly how to get to them. So I am super grateful for you giving me your time. I know how busy you are and uh, I'm excited to be able to see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, sounds great, Rihanna. Thank you very much. And we look forward to seeing you at the Trawler Fest and continuing to work with you guys. All right. I love it. I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day, everybody, and stay safe on the water. Thanks for watching.